It's so great to be back with you all and speaking this evening. And um, today we're going to be continuing our series on encounters with Jesus, which we started last week. Um, And the reason we're doing this sermon series is to refocus our attention on the central person of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ. And just to take a bit of time to uh, remind ourselves about how powerful and also how personal he can be to each one of us. And what a passage we're looking at today. The story of the resurrection. It's a bit Easter-y in vibes, um, I, I have to admit, but it's such a great passage, I literally couldn't resist it, so I hope that's all right. And in this passage, we see Mary Magdalene, a woman who had previously been mentally and spiritually ill, but had become one of Jesus's most devoted followers, discovering that Jesus has been resurrected from the tomb. It's a story full of the extremes of, the, of a faith in Jesus. It demonstrates his strength and yet his tenderness, his humanity and his miraculousness, his power and his humility. It's a passage that helps us to understand the reason and the rationale of a faith in Jesus. But it also challenges us to know and understand how a faith in Jesus is completely based on grace and not anything that we can do to achieve it. So let's delve in and see what we can learn about Jesus through this encounter with Mary. We all love an underdog, don't we? I have spent a lot of time the last few months sat on the sofa feeding a baby. And this summer, I spent a lot of time sat on the sofa feeding a baby watching Wimbledon. And I, I think, along with a lot of the nation, was gripped to my seat watching Emma Raducanu, the amazing 18-year-old girl who kind of took Wimbledon by storm, seemingly kind of coming out of nowhere. And then, I don't know about you, but my heart broke for her when she kind of had to pull out of the tournament due to medical issues. But who would have thought a few months later she would take uh, the US Open by storm in sweepstakes style, winning it, captivating the nation with a story of redemption and determination. And in this passage, we see Jesus choosing Mary, who was an underdog of her day, to be the one to discover the empty tomb and to meet Jesus in resurrected form. Now, the accounts of what happened in this story, they do kind of differ in each of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as kind of most eyewitness accounts or statements um, do, even like to this day. However, what doesn't differ in all of the Gospels is the fact that Mary is the one who finds the tomb and, and who Jesus reveals himself to. In ancient cultures, the testimony of a woman wasn't seen as valid in law. So Mary discovering the tomb here is like a really big deal for two reasons, really. If this account was made up, then whoever made it up wouldn't have used a woman as a star witness. Like, that would have been really stupid. So it kind of goes some way to proving that the resurrection was true. And secondly, God chose a woman a second-class citizen, a reformed mental patient, not like a pillar of the community, not some powerful, influential leader, 
He chose a woman to be the first person to believe in the resurrection. Or in other words, God chose a woman to be the first Christian. God chose a woman to be the first Christian. Now, I'm sorry to say it, but if that doesn't prove that Jesus loves girl power, I'm not sure what does. Yes, thank you. By Jesus choosing Mary, he is showing the world that no matter where you come from, what you've been through, what your status is in the world, he sees you. Jesus chooses the underdog. And maybe you feel like an underdog today. Maybe you don't feel special enough. Maybe with your classmates, you might feel overlooked or underappreciated. Maybe with your friends or colleagues, you feel undervalued or looked down upon. Jesus chooses you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that. Jesus loves you just as you are. You are chosen by him to be part of his family, and he wants to meet you in person. We then go on to learn about another element of who Jesus is through this kind of interaction with Mary. The reaction by Mary to seeing Jesus in verse 14 is that she doesn't recognize him. Now, to be honest, this kind of has always confused me a bit. You know, how does someone who's been traveling with Jesus for many years, who knew him better than most other people, who had heard him say on like several occasions that the Son of God would rise again after three days. How does she not recognize him? We read in Mark 9, for instance, verse 31, Jesus tells the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. And again, Jesus says this in chapter 8 and chapter 10 of, of Mark's gospel. How could Mary, who had heard Jesus say these things on several occasions, not kind of recognize or expect to see him? I mean, I kind of would have thought she'd be like waiting. I'd like to think I, I, if I was her, I'd be like eagerly waiting outside the tomb with some kind of, you know, hot chocolate and cookies, like ready for his arrival. But no, she wasn't. Commentators believe um, that there's several reasons for this. And one of the reasons is the cultural context of the time. Tim Keller, in his book, Encounters with Jesus, he talks about the, the Jewish and the Greek and the Roman cultures at the time, about how all of them basically didn't think that bodily resurrection was possible. And in the Jewish um, tradition specifically, which Mary was a part of, on the one hand, the kind of physical world was seen as part of God's good creation. So some did think that there might be like a sort of a general resurrection. But no one thought like one person would rise from the dead. And generally, Jews have quite like a high and a mighty view of God. So they were really the last people to think that a human could be worshipped and could be God. So Mary's reaction to Jesus, her lack of ability to see Jesus, could have been because it's what her culture had told her. And I'm sure many of us can relate to this. How many times have we ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something because it might have seemed odd or a bit strange to those around us? How many times have we made decisions about how to use our time and our resources 
not guided by scripture or the spirit, but because it's what we kind of felt that we should do because everyone else was doing it. Matt and I, my husband Matt and I, were really challenged um, in this way when we were watching a talk this week by, we were randomly watching it on YouTube by the theologian and, and pastor John Piper. And he is a long talk, but is part of the talk. He told this story about this couple called Bob and Penny who retire early, buy a house in Florida, cruise in their yacht, play softball and collect seashells in their retirement. And Piper, he pleads with the people listening to not chase this as the ultimate dream, the dream of going along with what they're told by the media and by people around them will make them happy, by going along with what's expected of them and to let a shell collection be what they have to show for their life. Matt did then point out to me that I actually do have a shell collection that I'm really proud of. So this was kind of quite a challenge to me personally. And then there's another reason that kind of commentators um, think that Re Mary doesn't realize it was Jesus. And this is because perhaps Mary saw what she expected to see. So if you're in a classroom, you would expect to see a teacher in a classroom, wouldn't you? If you were in um, uh, a nightclub, you'd expect to see a DJ in a nightclub. I haven't been to a nightclub for a while, but I presume there's DJs in nightclubs still. Yeah, 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 that's great. Um, so, so Mary was in a garden, so you would kind of expect to see a gardener in a garden, right? She expected the norm. She didn't expect a miracle, an interruption in her daily task of taking spices to the tomb, which it says she's doing here in Mark's Gospel. The writer and theologian Henry Nguyen says this, the question you see is not to prepare, but to live in a state of ongoing preparedness so that when someone is drowning in the world, comes into your world, you're ready to reach out and help. I love that, to live in a state of ongoing preparedness. And maybe, again, you can relate to this. It's hard sometimes to be interruptible, isn't it? When we set our expectations on something, when we want to control a situation, sometimes it's difficult to be interruptible to the work of God in our lives. And I actually really think that COVID, over the last year and a half, has made this need to control in our lives so much worse, as it's become kind of like a way to cope with so many factors that are outside of our control in the world around us. I remember, um, this is a bit of an embarrassing story, last, uh, last year, when, during the summer when all the lockdown restrictions lifted, and my husband and I, were, we were like, we just wanted to go away for a few days, and um, we got our brother and sister-in-law to come and look after our little dog that we had recently got. And I wrote like three or four A side, A4 sides of notes about how to look after our dog, including a section on cuddles and like how he liked to be cuddled. I mean, literally mortifying. But I was just trying to control the situation. And with hindsight, that's what was going on for me. And then we get to see Jesus' reaction here to I love that the first thing that he does, he says, Mary, why are you crying? He asks her a question. Jesus knows why Mary is crying. He's God. He knows all things. 
But he chooses to reach out to her in this tender way, in this tender and humble way, saying her name and showing that he knows her personally. He isn't some kind of powerful, influential leader who, of course, expects her to know who, she, who he is. The theologian and pastor John Stott says, Jesus made this absolutely plain. The chief characteristic of Christian leaders, he insisted, is humility, not authority, and gentleness, not power. Jesus has no ego to fulfill. He has nothing to prove. And the thing that really strikes me here is that he chooses to talk to her, not at her. He chooses to talk to her, not to her, not at her. He demonstrates the power of asking questions instead of just kind of wading in with his views and his opinions. Jesus is someone who humbly gave others the time and the space to be empowered to understand for themselves. And he shows us here the power of words to connect and to heal as opposed to alienate. He shows us here that he's like the greatest counselor, the greatest therapist and friend. And then we get to the end of the passage. You know, once Mary has recognized who Jesus is, we see Jesus say these words to her. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. When I was praying um, about this sermon this week in a really busy cafe, which I'd forgotten it was half term, and it was like people everywhere. Anyway, I was praying about this sermon, and in the noise of it all, I felt God um, really speak to me about this particular part of the passage. And I felt him say to me, why does Mary react like this? Why does Mary cling to Jesus? And the answer I felt really spoke to me personally in the craziness of the week I've had. Yeah, I think Mary is, she's really excited to see Jesus, of course. But I'm sure her reaction to him here is also because of a desperation she had been feeling. You know, all the worry and the sadness and the agony of the last week kind of came out in that moment and she clings to him. She's so relieved to see him that he's back with her. You could say maybe she'd kind of been pouring from like an empty cup. And so her reaction to seeing Jesus, her savior, was to cling to him. And if you feel like you've been pouring from an empty cup, you know, it's been a hard week. We've been mourning the, uh, the, the death of our dear friend Matt. Um, the days are getting longer and darker. Work and deadlines are looming. I just want to say to you today, you can cling to Jesus. I think sometimes we feel as Christians like we should always be fine and happy, gliding around our lives, imparting wisdom and peace and tidings of great joy wherever we go. But unfortunately, life isn't like that sometimes. Sometimes all we can do is cling to Jesus, whether it's for hours or days or even months or years. And then we see Jesus' reaction to Mary holding him. He strangely tells her to let go. And why does he do this? Later on, he, he encourages Thomas, for instance, to touch his hands. Why does he tell her to let go here? Well, it's kind of commonly understood that what Jesus is actually saying to Mary here is that he has a plan. He has a plan to ascend to the Father and then to send the Holy Spirit to be with her. 
and to be with all people for the rest of the age. So she doesn't need to worry. She doesn't need to fear. He's a caring God who has a plan to be with her, to stay with her on earth by his spirit. Jesus, the son of God, the liberator, the counselor, and the companion. He was someone who chose the underdog, who revealed himself kindly by grace, and who has a plan for your life. After the craziness of the past year or so, I don't know where you would say your faith is at at this point. Maybe you're full of faith, um, of God, at God at work in your life, and that's amazing. Maybe you're okay, and you're kind of plodding along, taking each day as it comes. Or maybe you'd say that you're clinging on at the moment. And to be honest, the last year and a half has really taken its toll, and you're feeling like you're kind of just going through the motions every day, living from an empty tank. I just want to say to you, wherever you're coming from, that's okay. Jesus doesn't judge you, and nothing you can do will earn his love. You know, Mary has done nothing here to earn the right for Jesus to come and meet with her. He comes to her because he loves her and he wants to meet with her. That's what grace is. And the good news is that today, Jesus wants to do the same. He wants to meet with you personally by his spirit and to be your liberator, your counselor, and your companion. Or maybe you're here today and you think this story is like a bit far-fetched. Like there was some guy called Jesus who was like killed and then revealed himself to some woman in some garden 2,000 years ago. And if that's you today, I just also want to say to you, please look into this story a bit more. It's one of the stories that's the cornerstone of the Christian faith because it also provides reason and rationale to the resurrection story. The Christian faith, it's not like a blind faith based on no evidence. It's a faith that's steeped in logic and understanding and is centered on a real man who lived and breathed and felt and dreamed and hurt just like you do. Amen.